0: Well, good evening. Okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, we continue in our series on Mark. And uh, there it is. Okay, so uh, we come to uh, Mark chapter 9. Specifically, the passage tonight is going to be verses 1 through 13. Uh, this is the, the transfiguration. Uh, I'll be honest, I was having trouble coming up, coming up with a title I thought the transfiguration in and of itself was a cool was a cool title, uh, but if, if you know the transfiguration, um, if you don't, we'll read it in just a second. You know that this is where Christ is up on the mountaintop. Elijah and Moses come and they're there with him, talking with him. And so, uh, Jesus and the talking dead is what we'll be looking at tonight. So. Um, Anyways, so uh, quickly, let, let's just go ahead and, and jump in. We'll read the passage and then begin to talk a little bit about some of the observations that we see, just some of the meaning, the, kind of the, explain that passage a little bit. And then um, as, we, as we've studied that and looked at that, I want us to see um, the, the, this, this full picture of Jesus. Uh, and I think the passage is that well in bookending this and explaining this. Uh, but we're also going to see that it is only Jesus uh, that, that we look at. And then finally, uh, we recognize that in light of all of this, uh, we tell about Jesus. So uh, let's jump in. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he said to them, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Quickly, let's, just, let's pray again over the text and over the message tonight. Uh, God, thank you for uh, your word. I pray that uh, that your word would speak, your spirit would move through the truth that is revealed to us, Father. And, uh, and this this evening, we would look to Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, as we're looking at the transfiguration, um, beginning to see what exactly is going on here. I think it's important uh, to just, just kind of walk through the text. There, there's a specific context that's going on. There's a lot of things that maybe we're not quite familiar with. Uh, so just walk through the text, kind of explain some things, give this big picture, and then look at exactly what uh, what we mean by that. So um, the, the first thing, uh, if, you, if, you, if you have a, a, a paper, you know, hard copy Bible in front of you, you'll notice that the first verse of chapter 9 is actually the end of the dialogue that uh, Brother Brian preached last week. And um, and then you've got a new subheading, which wasn't in the original, but that, that delineates between this next sort of narrative and story that's going on there. And so that, that first verse is, is kind of tacked on to the end of what Jesus was talking about um, but I think it also directly relates to where we're going this evening. And so as we look at chapter 1, where he, he, Jesus kind of says this really weird statement that some of you will not die until you see the kingdom of God come in its power. And, uh, and both Matthew and, uh, and Luke, uh, which their gospels are, are written in such a way that they're very similar, those three, Matthew, Mark, um, and Luke, and uh, both Matthew and Luke include this verse right before the transfiguration. And so I think a, a most likely interpretation of what Jesus is talking about is, is probably um, some of these disciples, The verse 2 tells us Peter, James, and John, are going to see the kingdom of God come with power literally in the transfiguration. Um, so you, you could also look at that, and you could, you could see options like, uh, like perhaps his resurrection, um, some of them, I mean, you know, Peter, Peter and John, again, were there at his resurrection. Uh, some people have also seen this in kind of uh, looking at, at Pentecost, uh, that those were there, right, and that the kingdom of God came into uh, his people as they are going to establish the church through the power of the Spirit. Uh, so again, coming with with power there. Um, and, and then, you know, it could also even be seen within the early church and the movement that comes after Pentecost and things like that. Um, honestly, all of those sound pretty good. Uh, I think the way the text looks itself is we're talking is specifically about the power that comes uh, in Christ, in his glorification, in the transfiguration immediately after that verse, uh, but even so, uh, we're, we're allowed to have this, this bigger picture of what the, the, the full story of scripture is pointing to. So even if there is a direct connection there, that doesn't mean that we can't also look to uh, the power of the coming kingdom of God. In the resurrection. That doesn't mean we can't also look to the power of the coming kingdom of God through the, 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 the coming of the, of the Spirit, you know, through the saints and through the apostles there. So I, um, even then, we begin to see uh, just what this, uh, uh, what the passage is about. And we just see the, the power of God that comes uh, through Jesus and, and through himself to his people, uh, as we'll see a little bit later on as well. So, uh, so that's what's kind of happening uh, in verse one as we move on. After, and after six days, Uh, This is really interesting. Um, This is the the most specific uh, temporal connection that Mark uses in his gospel. Temporal, like the most, most specific kind of like time reference. If you remember earlier on, it happened a lot. Uh, and, and we've seen several cases of it throughout the, the, the book of Mark. Mark, One of Mark's favorite uh, words is immediately. And, uh, and we, we talked about this multiple times, that he's not using immediately in a uh, chronological sense, but he's using it in a narrative sense. So when he says immediately, he's trying to, he's trying to move the, the narrative along, move the story along. He's not saying that these things literally happened immediately one after another. And what's interesting here is instead of saying immediately, instead of you know, just tagging these narrative stories along with one another um, – what happens here is that Jesus or Mark gives a specific time reference. And I think what's happening is he is directly, inseparably connecting the transfiguration that, that we've just read about and the teaching that we have seen in the past two weeks, both through the confession of Peter and the declaration of the Messiah, and that Jesus explaining and teaching about what that means in the Messiahship through his through the Son of Man's suffering, through him being handed over, through his death, and then through his resurrection. Uh, and so I think that's important as we look about, uh, I think it's important as we think about what exactly is gonna happen with the transfiguration, connecting that to Christ's teaching on his death, on his resurrection, uh, and, and his suffering as well. And, uh, but as we move on, uh, we see, in, even in verse two, right, uh, Christ, leads, Jesus leads them up to a high mountain by themselves. Um, and this is also another just kind of biblical reference we think about, just these sort of, uh, mountaintop experiences that people have had with God. And so specifically, as we look at um, the, the, the characters who are referenced in the story tonight, Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, uh, received the Ten Commandments, received that revelation from God. All of, all of Israel, as they, they left the Exodus, right, came to this, came to this mountain uh, to meet with God. Elijah also goes up onto the mountain as he's seeking refuge, but also kind of uh, hearing this word uh, from the Lord, uh, and even things like, as we saw just a few uh, a, a few months ago now with the Sermon on the Mount, as we just think about as Christ is, is teaching from that. These, these experiences that show, that kind of give us an example, that kind of tie things together, this being on the mountain, being on the mountaintop, and how that is just an example of and kind of symbolic of, of God working through and to uh, his people. And... Uh, and then verse 2, it, it really, you know, it, uh, it wraps up pretty nicely for us. And he was transfigured before them. So clearly that explains a lot of what's going on. And uh, you don't even have to, like, you know, wonder what that means. It's, it's pretty clear. So he's just transfigured, right? Um, <laughs> not at all. That was really, uh, was really interesting, kind of uh, scary when looking at this passage. What exactly is happening with Christ as he's transfigured? Uh, and, and literally, I think the word is pointing to, uh, right, metamorphosis, um, and so he's just kind of um, morphing into uh, this, this, this full picture of who he is. I don't think Christ is, is, is uh, changing necessarily. Christ, just as God, is the same. Uh, but what we do see happening, I think verse 3 helps to explain that, is his clothes uh, uh, became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And uh, unlike Moses on his mountaintop experience, the, if you remember when he, when he comes down after receiving the tablets uh, in Exodus uh, chapter 34, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And so we can see the, we can see the connection there, but unlike Moses, Jesus isn't just shining as a reflection of God he is radiating himself. He is, as some translations put it right, he's, he's, uh, he's dazzling, intensely white. I think it just points to just the full picture of who Jesus is uh, in the text, that he is God, and we can see that in his full glory as it has come. And when you think about uh, in Daniel, Daniel says in, um, in chapter seven, he's, he's explaining the one who is sitting on the throne, it says his clothing was white as snow. Um, Malachi is an even more explicit reference here. In Malachi chapter three, and there's even more here than, what, than just verse, uh, verse uh, three right now, but Malachi chapter three, verses one and two, "'Behold, I send my messenger, "'and he will prepare the way before me, "'and the Lord whom you seek "'will suddenly come to his temple, "'and the messenger of the covenant, "'in whom you delight. "'Behold, he is coming,' says the Lord of hosts. Uh, "'But who can endure the day of his coming, "'and who can stand when he appears? "'For he is like a refiner's fire.'" like fuller's soap. And we also see, you know, the Psalms says that, that God wraps himself in light. Uh, as we're looking at Malachi, uh, I had no idea what fuller's soap was. I was really confused. I looked it up, and, he, and you can even actually literally connect that to, uh, to when it says at the end of verse 3, as no one on earth could bleach them. Um, so, so perhaps, some of you are familiar with, with the word fuller. It seems to be a little bit um, gotta be careful here, older word. Um, but, uh, so maybe some of you are familiar with it, uh, but essentially it, it is one who, who cleans clothes. Um, you know, that you might have an ESV footnote there or a footnote there that says as, as, as no one could bleach them It literally like as, as a launderer, couldn't, couldn't bleach them, couldn't make them white. And so in Malachi, when it says Fuller's soap, right, he's, he's, he's like a refiner for like Fuller's soap. I mean, it is just as white as can be. That's, I mean, Mark is, is playing off of that language there, too. And so we're seeing, again, just the, a beautiful connection as Mark is using the Old Testament, pointing to who Christ is. Um, and um, not just in light of everything he's done in Mark, but who he is as the Son of Man and the Son of God. So, uh, fuller soap, and God wraps himself in light like in the Psalms. And, uh, and then, right, that's awesome, that's crazy. Verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Uh, again, really clear. You don't really need any explanation of what's, what's actually happening here. Um, when looking at Elijah and Moses, uh, I think you, you, you can't help but when looking at them think of the law, and the prophets, right? Moses, the author of the law, the one who, who literally received the law, Elijah, who, who was this, uh, this prophet, who, uh, as we saw at the end of the text, right, the, the apostles, or rather the disciples of the time, they're, they're, uh, they're not just come up with this stuff, right? They're expecting Elijah to come again. So when, they're, when we're saying Elijah is there, we're immediately thinking of the prophets, and one who is to come, prepare the way. Um, and so we think about the law and the prophets, and Jesus is there with them. Um, and uh, and I, I mean, I think we see, I mean, Christ is, is the fulfillment of all of that law. He's the fulfillment of all of that prophecy. And we've seen that throughout Mark already, um, but, uh, but we recognize that, that as Jesus comes with Moses and Elijah, uh, that that is symbolic of what he is coming uh, to do, what he has done, uh, what he will be. Um, but I think also we even see um, at the... Uh, um, uh, at, at the end of, of Malachi, we also see, uh, you know, uh, when, they're, when they're looking forward to this final prophet, and you have, uh, you have, you know, God tell them about the final prophet coming, it says he will, he will bring them back to, so again, pictures of Elijah there, he will bring them back to the words of Moses and the, and the commandments of the law, the law of Moses. And so we even see this kind of ushering back in for, uh, for who he is, but also not just who Jesus is, but what he has done and where he's, where he's, what he's going to do for his people, and we see um, just the, the people that, uh, that Christ gathers around himself, and how the, the, the glorification that happens here, the, the suffering, the death, and the, the resurrection that's happening, it all points to God, and then it, but it's for uh, his creation, for the ones that he loves. Um, and uh, verse five, we get back to Peter, uh, and Peter said to Jesus, "Rabbi." so I was going to try to defend Peter. Uh, if you remember the past couple weeks, both Pastor Grant and Brother Brian, you know, they've been kind of mean to Peter. Uh, I was going to try to defend him. Uh, I, I, you know, I've heard some uh, funny little story. Uh, a professor uh, once <laughs> opened a class and looking at, at the Gospels that uh, when we get to heaven, we're probably all going to have to stand in line and apologize to all of the disciples, and Peter's going to be last, and he's going to get the biggest apology as we all just like, hey, I'm really sorry, you know, we thought you blew it, but, you know, you know I think Peter, he understands what's, what's, what's going on, and, uh, but at the same time, uh, as, as Brian described last week, kind of like mouth from the character of the Goonies, and, and, and Grant said he just, he just kind of can't help but just say something, he's not really sure what's going on, uh, the text even says that. He had no idea what to say, because he was just terrified, so his default was just to say, say something, um, and uh, So I was going to try to defend him. You know, he just kind of slipped up. It's okay. But again, he kind of misses the point. Jesus is on this mountaintop, transfigured with Moses and Elijah, and he says, Rabbi? Are you kidding me? This is no rabbi. This is not just a teacher. This is the Son of God glorified. I mean, this is awesome. He is one who's come to fulfill the prophets and the law. Rabbi? Friends, he is so much more than a rabbi uh and and i mean and he even says so right remember what i said six days after we're connecting he just taught them and it's even said he spoke plainly about these things that the son of man must come to suffer he must he must uh, be handed over he must die he must be resurrected this is this is the messiah not just a rabbi so sorry peter um but uh but he was terrified. And I think this is really ironic, uh, the way Mark writes this, right? He didn't know what to say. He was terrified. He, I mean, Jesus transfigured. Uh, obviously, they recognized somehow Elijah and Moses. They knew who they were. He's not just like, you know, kind of taking a guess. From like, I mean, he knew who they were. And it says he was terrified. Um, and honestly, given the next verse, he had no reason to be terrified yet uh, because verse uh, verse seven comes, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, Listen to him. If there's a time to be terrified, it's probably when clouds descend on the mountain and the voice from heaven comes telling you who this Jesus is. Um, so, yeah, that, it just, it just, it's just incredible. Right? Peter is terrified before, uh, before the transfiguration of, of, of Christ. Uh, but God comes and he says exactly what's going on. And he says so in his, the fullness of his power and his might as the creator. And, and again, as we think about not just uh, God being on the mountains and, and we, how we see examples of that and stories of that and how it's connecting as Mark to also to us, but even the same thing happens uh, with, with, with clouds and the symbol, symbolism that happens there. And so uh, in, in Exodus 24... Um, again, with Moses. Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. We could have gone there if we wanted to. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain, the sight of the people of Israel. Again, I mean, it doesn't say it there, but I think we see just the brightness, the devouring fire. There's the dazzling, bright, radiant white of, of the glory of God, and we see that in Jesus. And in case you missed it, God explicitly tells you, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And, uh, and, and we can't help... Right, but, but I hope that you can't help but read that, see that, hear that. Wait a second. We go all the way back to the beginning of Mark, right? And and uh, um, Mark opens up with what well, this is about—the gospel—and uh, it opens up with John the Baptist, who who is that messenger that we've kind of alluded to already, and uh, and Christ is baptized. And then Mark one uh, verse ten, and when he came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So just as the father announced, announcement kind of set the stage for the revelation of of the miracle working son of God that we saw in chapters one through eight. So this, this second one, this second announcement from the father prepares the way for the revelation of the suffering son of man. This is, this, is, uh, this is an exclamation point on who Jesus is and what he has come to do. Uh, this is this, this kind of divine stamp of approval on the confession and the declaration of Christ as the Messiah and his teaching about what he has come to do. And, uh, uh, and uh, even more so, I mean, this, this was awesome when I was studying this passage and thinking of even this past Sunday, in our, in, our, in our sermon from, from Revelation, Revelation 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And, and who is coming, right? The, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who is, who is fully glorified, coming for his church. That is the one that is coming. That is the one that we see in the passage uh, tonight. And, uh, and this is the one who God has, has, uh, has said, Listen to him. Listen to him. What happened in chapter 8? And Jesus began to teach them about how he was going to suffer and be handed over by the scribes and the Pharisees. He was going to die and be resurrected. Listen to this teaching because this is who Christ is. This is who Jesus is. <laughs> but this is who Jesus is with the glorification that is happening right at this moment. Yeah, you, you can't have Christ's suffering, the suffering Son of Man, the, 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 the death, the resurrection. You, 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 that has to be seen in light of the glorification of Christ. This is the Son of God. And so on both sides, you have, you have Christ being glorified. He's the Son of God, and it is him who comes to die for us. And on the other side, friends, he is resurrected, he is glorified, and he is coming again. On both sides, the glorification of Christ has to be seen in light of what he did in the cross and the resurrection. And so, again, we're, we're, we're moving on. This is my beloved son, uh, and, and, and this, is, this, is, this is awesome. They just heard the word of God, literally. They just heard God speak. And then verse 8, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. <laughs> only Jesus only Jesus. Friends, there is no one else. There is no one else that we look to. There, is, there, there, is, there are no clouds that come. There's no thundering uh, shake of the mountains, right? There's no bright, other bright light that we look to, right? We look to Christ and who he is. And, and, and again, sorry, Peter, we, we're, not just, we're not just dwelling here. Hey, right? this is really cool. You know, let's, uh, let's stay here, Jesus. I mean, we can like set up some tents or something maybe. I'm not really sure, um, right? We, we don't stay there, right? We look only to Jesus. And, uh, and what does he do? He comes down from the mountain. And what does he do as he comes down from the mountain? Uh, the end of verse 9 uh, that he, he tells him not to tell anybody, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. He comes down from the mountain to die. For us, he comes down from the mountain to go to the cross. And that's, that's what Mark does. Uh, I've, I've referenced this like several, several times over the entire series. There's a turning point in Mark, and, and we, we, we we're there, we've reached it. And now, after the transfiguration Christ, who has been been doing ministry in the region of the Galilee, he's going to work his way towards Jerusalem. He's going to foretell of his death time and time again over the next few chapters because he is coming down from the mountain and he is going to the cross, my friends. Because that is who Christ is. He is our Messiah. He is the king. But he is our resurrected king because he died on the cross for our sins. Um, And as we think about, it, I just I think this is important. I don't want to I don't want to detract from what what, what we're talking about here with 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 who who Jesus is. But uh, verse nine, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Um, and, and again, this is a theme. And this is so cool. Mark is brilliant. This is a theme we have seen over and over again. This this messianic secret. Right? He tells he tells everyone uh, to don't tell anyone what they've seen. Um, okay. Anyways. Um, and. Uh, uh, this this messianic secret right? he doesn't want anyone to know, and, and I think I think sometimes we kind of miss the point on this messianic secret. Um, we don't we don't, actually don't quite understand, um, partly because we're on this side of history, um, and so so we don't we don't really feel the tension of being Jews in their promised land under the oppression of a of a foreign empire, and we don't feel the the, the tension and the, the, the hope of a coming Messiah. We have no idea what that's like. Uh, and, and, and this is this is crazy, the Jews aren't, they don't have a false hope. They're not just, the Jews aren't just like, man, we're under oppression. It'd be really cool if someone could, could raise up and be our king. No, they have a grounded hope in the word of God. They know a Messiah is coming. They don't, And you know, so we don't feel that tension. And, and the reason that, right, there's a messianic secret at all is because Christ, Comes to be their Messiah, just not in the way that they they expect. And so, I mean, can you imagine, right? Peter, James, and John just going forward like Jesus was glorified. He was with He was with Elijah and Moses. It was awesome. This is our Messiah. And that is so true. But friends, can you imagine what would happen in Jerusalem and in Galilee? Right? They they've already tried, they've already tried to take him away to make him their king. Um I'm kind of repeating myself. That's not why Jesus came to die. Or that's not why Jesus came. He came to die. Um, uh, he, 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 he came uh, to, to bear his cross, to deny himself as he teaches us to do. He didn't come to be king on earth because there is a greater kingdom that is coming. And he is the king. Uh, so, so we don't always see that. Um, I just think it's a really cool example. So, you know, humor me for a second. This is kind of like yeah, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, I've read them for the first time this past year, and it, uh, it was just incredible. Um, the, the first book that Lewis writes of the Chronicles is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there, uh, in chapter seven, the beginning of chapter seven. Um, the, the, the Pevensey's, if you're familiar, the, the, these four children they enter in through the wardrobe. Uh, they go into the land of Narnia. There's a, a hundred-year winter. They have no idea what's going on. They're just like, "This is cool." Uh, they have no idea what's going on. They 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 know there's an evil witch. They know that this winter isn't as cool as they thought it was because there's no Christmas. Amen. Um, and uh, but but uh, they have no idea what's going on. They're 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 in the beavers. They're in the beavers' home. And, uh, and you can picture this in the movie, maybe a little bit better, but it's, you know, it's obviously in the book. And, uh, and Mr. Beaver's like, Aslan is on the move. You know what the Pevensey children say? Who's Aslan? They're like, okay, Mr. Beaver, uh, I don't really see, yeah, we're, we're the same way, we're the same way, we don't, we don't get it, right? We're just like the Pevensey children, we don't understand that, that Christ is on the move, and, uh, and, I mean, it is awesome, and, and uh, what, what's really cool, I, you know, man, should have brought the quote, uh, what, what, what Lewis describes after that is a feeling in each one of the four children. They have no idea who Aslan is, but there's a feeling inside of them like, hey, this guy's got to be awesome. This guy's got to be really, really cool, and, 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 I mean, immediately after that, in, in the, or soon after that in the book, you have um, a, uh, several animals who are Narnians having a feast, and they're feasting as a gift from Father Christmas that, that the white witch's winter is, is, is done, right? I mean, Father Christmas has returned, that the snow is melting, and they're having a feast, and they die because of that. The white witch finds them, uh, finds them feasting and, and, and asks them why. And, uh, and they're like, Father Christmas came back, and she knows exactly what that means. So, so we don't understand uh, what the Jews are going through with this, with this messianic secret, um, uh, but, uh, but we do now. Uh, we, we do now, because we know who Christ is. So, let's continue. Um, verse 10. So they kept the matter to themselves. They understand what they're going through, right? They kept the matter to themselves. Uh, but they, they still missed the point. You're like, oh, man, they did a good job. They kept it to themselves. Uh, no, they question what this rising from the dead might mean. <laughs> it, I mean, uh, sorry, I just... Uh, in, in, in chapter 8, I mean, it says, yeah, verse 32, sorry, chapter 8, verse 32. And he, and he said this plainly, plainly. He began to teach them, verse 31, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And they questioned, what does this rising from the dead might mean? Man, they don't, they don't get it. Um. Uh, but you know, we they, they have they have different they have different expectations. This happens to us all the time. Our expectations are, are not met. Uh, but again, what, we 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 have this side of history. We have the full revelation of God, and we know we know who Jesus is. Um, and then we get to uh, maybe kind of a weird weird part of the passage. It almost seems just like take take a turn. Um, and so uh, let's um, just read through it again. The uh, verses eleven through thirteen. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first, restore all things. And, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be true with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And uh, I, I, I spoke of this earlier. I'm going to read the quote now. Malachi chapter 4. Uh, verses four through six. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb, fall of Israel, Horeb, the mountain. Uh, verse five, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. I mean, the disciples didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, they just didn't quite understand. They knew what they were talking about. Like, like uh, Jesus, Elijah has to come first. Um, why, why, did it, why did it say that? Um, And uh, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So like, Elijah has to come first. And Jesus says, Elijah has come. And we've already essentially looked at this. We've already even studied this. Um, I think Jesus here is, I mean, he's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this messenger that comes out of the wilderness. John the Baptist is one who comes like the prophet of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And I mean, literally prepare the way of the Lord uh, with who Christ is and, uh, and, 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 and um, baptizing Christ as he inaugurates his kingdom. So I think when Jesus says that, he says, Elijah has come. I think he's, I think he's talking about John the Baptist. And uh, and so we see here that things are beginning to unfold, right? There's 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 uh, there's things that are happening that are leading to and pointing to who Christ is and what He has, has come to do. And so as we as we look at this kind of the, the big picture of what this passage is, there's um, three things I quickly want to point out to you. One, look at the bookends of of the passage. Right at the beginning. What happens? There's this kingdom of power, has, or kingdom of God, sorry, has come with power, and how does it happen to the, 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 the transfiguration, the glorification of Christ? And what happens at the end? He reminds them of his suffering, of his death, and his resurrection. So when we see here, we see the, a, a, a full Jesus. A full Jesus. This is a, this, is, this is a, excuse me, this is Christ who has come, uh, uh, we, we see that the whole picture of, of glorification and the suffering and the death and the resurrection—we've we, we've, we've already talked about. It. So, when we're looking at this uh, this full picture of Jesus, an interesting observation. I think oftentimes uh, we have we have kind of reversed what the disciples were going through. The disciples were all about his glorification, like absolutely. Just come down from the mountain, dazzling white like that. It'll be awesome. Uh, but they missed the point of his death and his resurrection. And friends, we, we, you know, rightly so, focus on Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. That is where we are dead to our sin, and alive in Christ and his resurrection. But friends, we often forget about the glorification. This is the full picture of who Jesus is. We often forget the eternal perspective that Christ is going to be glorified again and is going to come. And we, we, we celebrate the Lord's day, his resurrection, but well, we must remember that he, he is glorified as we too once will be as he comes and we are, we are heirs of this kingdom. And we, we, we must remember this eternal perspective of, 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 uh, of not just what Christ has done but what he's going to continue to do. Um, and we also see uh, just, I mean, this awesome verse. Uh, we also see not just the full Jesus, but this is only Jesus. Nothing else. Only Christ is to whom we look, and to connect the first two, there is no other glory that we seek other than the glorification of our risen Savior Jesus Christ. There is no other glory that we look to other than the glory of who Christ is as the Son of God, who is King of the universe um, it, this is This is really neat second Peter uh, chapter one. Uh, Verses, uh, I'll start in verse 16. So Peter, the author of Second Peter, Peter who was there at the Transfiguration, he recounts what happens as he writes this letter. So Second Peter, chapter one, verse 16. "For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when, myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty." For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, uh, to which you would do well to pay attention to. So, so I mean, Peter recognizes this is the this is the glory of Christ. And it is only Christ that we look to. Uh, and, and so there, there's, there's, there's no glory um, for you in, um, in, in your work. There's, there's, no, there's no glory in, uh, in, 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 some sort of, in some sort of promotion. There, there's, there, there's no glory in, uh, in, being, <laughs> in being a student, right? There, there, that, that's not where we find our glory. We find our glory in Christ who he is we find our glory as following this Christ and being obedient to the word which he has come to fulfill and uh, and finally this this full Jesus and this the only Jesus um, but we we tell Jesus the messianic secret is no longer a secret Uh, the word is out Christ has come as the full Messiah and he has come in his death, in his resurrection and then he is coming again. So we tell about this Jesus. We tell others to to, to see this full picture of Jesus and look only to him. Friends, we come down from the mountain too. We come down just as Christ came down from the mountain and, and went to the cross. Friends, we come down, we deny ourselves and we go to proclaim this word. This is a, 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 a full Jesus that we are telling to others. This, this beautiful whole picture of the glorification of Christ in light of his Messiahship and his resurrection. And this is, this is only Jesus that we tell to others. There's, there's no one else. I was reminded of that as we, as we prayed tonight at our table. We prayed um, for, for Arab people and, um, and the Central United Kingdom, specifically with our Muslim faith. Friends, there is no one else. And so as we think about the weight and the, the eternal glory of Christ, ought we to be motivated to tell others about only Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for Christ. Thank you for your word, which tells us about him. Thank you for, for your majesty and your glory. Uh, and God, thank you that in, in, in light of that, you have, you have even revealed to us not just who you are, but who we are, Father. And, uh, and who we are as, as ones who sit at the feet uh, of the one on the throne, dazzling white. Let us, let us glorify him. Let us glorify him in, in praise and worship. Let us glorify him in going out, to tell others about the truth of his message. We we pray all this in, in the saving name of Jesus. Amen.